From WNET in New York, hi, I'm Tom Stewart, and welcome to WNET Up Next, where we take you behind the scenes for a look at what's happening in the world of public media and help you get to know the people who create our content. Today, we'll be talking about our multi-platform initiatives with a special focus on Peril and Promise, which reports on climate change. And joining us right now are executive producer and project director Eugenia Harvey and producer Maya Navan. Welcome to WNET Up Next. Thanks for having us. So, Eugenia, what exactly is the Peril and Promise initiative? The Peril and Promise initiative is our ongoing day-to-day coverage of the human stories of climate change. We operate from the perspective that climate change is real, that the science behind it is credible, and that humans are consistently and now being impacted by climate change. So we do it every day. This isn't a special. This isn't something that we just do during climate week or, you know, when something happens in nature or in life to cause climate issues. We do it every day. We're there every single day. If you go to our site, you will see stories that we are either curating, we're promoting. Sometimes we are developing them and, and occasionally producing. Okay. Now, so what is your role? I know that you're executive producer and project director Mm -hmm. of all of this. And and what does that mean? That means that every day I get to work with our tiny but mighty team to curate these stories. Sounds great. So, Maya, these projects that we're talking about, Apparel and Promise and the other multi-platform initiatives, they have so many moving parts. And I know that you're the producer. So tell us exactly what your role is in making things happen. I primarily work on managing our content partnerships with our public media news partners, as well as some external organizations that we work with. So that requires developing relationships and then managing them to create content, work on partnerships together. And I really love that part of my job because I get to work with so many different people in different departments and at different organizations. I also help produce video and editorial content for our digital and social media platforms. I love when I get to get out in the field and do some reporting, do some producing, and capture a story. And then in between, every day is something different. I manage our interns, which is one of my favorite parts of my job, uh, really mentoring them and helping them grow while they're with us, and hopefully they have a great experience. It wasn't too long ago when you yourself were an intern here at WNET. Yes, I started as an intern here. And in between then, I had a few experiences. I worked at Frontline and NBC News. But when a job opened up at WNET, I knew I had to apply and come back. Now here I am four years later. Right now, other media coverage seems to be catching up to what you've been doing for a few years now. Why do you think that is? I think everyone has finally realized that the climate crisis is just that, a crisis. We have been covering it every day since 2017, no matter what's happening in the news cycle, sharing the stories, the information, and also the solutions that are happening around the world. I think now that news organizations are starting to realize that they can't ignore this crisis, and we are seeing it in all the extreme weather events that are happening in our country and around the world. And I think those also put it in the minds of 
people to really start thinking about this issue. Eugenia, describe for me the goals of Peril and Promise. We have lofty goals, and then we have everyday goals. So the lofty goal is to be one of these clarion voices championing the storytelling of climate change. We're not an advocate. We are not advocacy, but we are, we will forever be storytellers because, you know, that's why we actually get in the business, right? I believe there's no more important global issue than climate change. And because of that, I mean, yes, there are financial ones. Yes, there are, you know, poverty is a, is a huge one. We also deal with, with that. But when you look at something that is going to impact every single human being and animal and plant life on the earth, it's global warming. It is climate change, which is a better word for it. So every day... We're committed to, again, we curate more stories than we can originate. If I had a greater budget, candidly, I would be able to create more of these stories. But our colleagues in this industry and our colleagues at WNET and our colleagues throughout the PBS universe, public media universe, are also doing stories. And so we, we get to be a microphone. We get to be both a platform and a microphone to enhance the work that's being done that is in alignment with the work that we're doing. Maya, Peril and Promise and the other multi-platform initiatives are unique in their storytelling, I think. What makes them unique for you? I think what's unique about our multi-platform initiatives is that we're committed to ongoing programming on critical issues affecting everyone globally, really. Despite what is happening in the day-to-day news cycle, we are continuing to cover climate change, cover poverty, which is the focus of our other initiative, and not let these stories go. There's stories every day, new information, new research, and new solutions. And we really want to make sure that These stories are always being covered, not just when they're tied to extreme weather events or new news that has come out about the climate crisis. And so I think that's what makes them unique. Eugenia, what are some of the achievements you've been proudest of so far? Oh, my goodness. The New York City Rising series that um, that is currently on our site, we've been able to provide support just in the last year for a four-hour documentary series called Sinking Cities, where producers went to New York, Miami, Tokyo, and London, and they watched both how the sea levels have been rising, but also, and this is very important, how the cities have resolved to protect, you know, both the city and its citizens. So there are solutions attached to it. And then that leads me to a third achievement. We've been really reaching for stories and content about solutions. Even though people tend to tune in when you scare them, mm-hmm. right? Like they know the peril, if you will, of the story. They want to hear more about the peril. 
And again, we do that, but we also get to tell them about the promise. Mm-hmm. So we are we are focusing now on solution-oriented storytelling in addition to the the dangers, the imminent danger of, of our warming pl- We're planet. starting to hear so much about the call to action. Mm-hmm. It's time to act mm-hmm. to mitigate some of these things that mm-hmm. are happening. Mm-hmm. Climate change can seem like a very depressing, mm-hmm. daunting subject, but... Tell us more about some of the inspirational stories that are happening. It's interesting. Every day we see the young people right now who are moving everybody out. She's almost a household word now, uh, Greta Thunberg, mm-hmm. you know, the young lady from Sweden, the 16-year-old student from Sweden. But we have American students who have been leading this charge every single week. I cannot tell you how exciting and exhilarating it is to see these young children who are undeterred and we're we're telling their stories this past weekend was a was a massive climate strike for school students around the world and our social media team was right out there covering it and seeing how the just that energy I, you know I'm sitting here and I'm watching this and I'm just thinking my god if we could just bottle that energy we can change the world and that is the optimism that's out there. That's the promise, right? Like that's the promise that, you know, it it sounds cliche, the children are the future, but the children are actually leading the clarion call to fix this, to get this right. And what an honor to be able to give them the microphone. What an honor to be able to tell the stories of these children who, who are doing this research and who are out there literally in these streets saying, hey, you currently in power, Hey, you, person who signs the checks to that could help fix, you know, climate issues. We're not going to let you get away with ignoring right. this anymore. That's, There's a fearlessness a about it that fearlessness I'm, I'm, I'm struck by. That only a 16-year-old can have, by the way. <laughs> so, Maya, what do you think? The last few days have been just extraordinary as far as seeing what is happening in the climate movement. The global climate strikes primarily led by youth, were just extraordinary to witness and to report on. The energy was pretty remarkable, and I was so moved by seeing so many young people so passionate about this issue. But I think what was even more moving was seeing how intergenerational the strike was. There was people of all ages there really supporting the youth leaders in their efforts. My biggest takeaway was that young people are really going to be at the forefront of change when it comes to the climate crisis. And they are really saying what needs to be said and doing what needs to be done. So Eugenia, do you feel that you've been pioneers in covering this area? Well, we've definitely been consistent, um, a voice for it. We are a part of a newly formulated consortium called Covering Climate Now that is helmed by Columbia Journalism Review and The Nation. And it is a consortium of now over 200 and I think 50 or 70 news, public affairs organizations and journalists who have committed to covering climate. So, yes, you've seen a real push as a result of the efforts of the consortium, but we're committed to do it every day, and we have been committed to doing it every day. When the consortium 
if it disbands, I hope it doesn't because the story is huge and, and, and there's so many, there's so many bites of that apple, right? Like you, you've got to keep telling that story. But long after the commitment or perhaps the ability to cover climate change is, is over, Climate Week will be over, but we'll still be covering it. And we'll still be looking for new stories and we'll still be talking to the people who are out there. And that is our hope. That is our ongoing fervent hope is to to continue to be as as zealous about telling these stories as we possibly can. Let me ask you this. Multi-platform, what does that really mean? I started doing uh, what is what is now called cross-platform programming okay. or multi-platform programming in 2000. And around that time, and 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 frankly, I was I was with a, a company, a digital company. Mm. We were about seven years ahead of our time, and the premise was that we would take television as the starting jump-off point, mm-hmm. right? And recognizing that technology had brought us to a place where we could receive content at that time mostly on our computers, and then subsequently on our telephones our smartphones, that the day was going to come, you know, again, this was in 2000, where people would be, in fact, getting information simultaneously on our telephones and, of course, via our computers as well as our television. And so what I learned was that we need to create new experiences. We used to call them unique experiences, but we needed to, every time you turned your phone on, You needed to have a new experience, Mm -hmm. whether it was a text from your daughter sending you, hey, dad, look at the latest pony clip, you know, or whether it was um, the funny thing from last night's Tonight Show, that we were going to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so in multi-platform programming, what that means is, yes, you can go to WNET and you can watch News Hour Weekend, you can watch Amman Poor, you can watch Nature, but you can also, after that experience, if you want more, mm-hmm. you can go to pbs.org slash Peril and Promise and we can tell you more mm-hmm. and you can see fresh new pictures or you can hear a fresh new interview from the leading scientists about the latest developments in climate change. So the idea is to enhance your original television experience. I'd like to ask both of you about a new digital series that you've been working on called the Freedom to Breathe Tour. So we have an exciting new series, which is a tour across the country looking at different communities that are being affected by climate change and also looking at what they're already doing because they are being affected and they are taking action. This series is unique because it looks at how the climate crisis intersects with other issues like jobs, pollution, gentrification, housing, green energy, um, you name it, we've looked at how it intersects with climate change and we looked at how this is affecting people's lives. The Freedom to Breathe tour was originated by our content partners at um, at Climate Nexus. And I loved it because they told us about the genesis behind it, which was they wanted to follow the path of the 1961 Freedom Riders when they went down into the South to explore the unfulfilled promises of desegregation. So the, the Freedom to Breathe tour, we 
co-opted it and partnered with them. And they have wonderfully created this series that follows in those footsteps in these southern states to find the most climate vulnerable areas in the United States and to point out the intersectionality of poverty and climate change, racism and climate change, economy and climate change. That really sounds fascinating. And we have now a brief preview of the Freedom to Breathe tour. How does our warming planet impact Americans in our day-to-day lives? We went on a bus tour across the South and Southwest to find out. We are fighting for our life. We're fighting to survive. The Freedom to Breathe tour was our attempt to understand how climate change is overlapping with the racial, social, and economic challenges facing Americans. We're in the South. We're in the Gulf Coast, the most environmentally befouled region of the country. And it's also one of the most vulnerable, climate vulnerable regions of the country. Our goal was to see for ourselves how fossil fuel pollution and climate change touch people's lives through public health, housing, the environment, and the economy. Freedom to breathe. That's what we need here on the Gulf Coast. That's what we need on the West Coast. That's what we need on the East Coast. We all should have freedom to breathe. Where will I be able to see the Freedom to Breathe tour? You'll be able to watch the Freedom to Breathe tour along with all of our programming on our website, which is pbs.org slash peril and promise. And I know that social media is a big aspect of what you do. We are on every social media platform that you might be, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we're at peril and promise on those platforms. And we are daily covering the climate issues of the day, sharing stories, sharing information, and so that you can go on our platforms and get your news update for the day in a short bite-sized way. And we really try to make it easy to know the news of the day on our social platforms. That sounds like a great idea. And I know that you're now gathering your forces to develop a new series. We're trying to get behind the why of hatred. You know, why, how does it come about in the early part of the 21st century when you look at history, right? But, you know, here we are, you know, and this disease that we thought we had cured has now come back stronger than ever. It seems to be resistant to education. It seems to be resistant to communication. It seems to be resistant to racial harmony and efforts to sort of squash the divisiveness that America has, right? And it has just come back with such an ugly fervor in ways that certainly, you know, my generation never thought would return. Mm. We thought we were really making some progress. I'm a child of the 70s. And we thought, you know, we're so past that. And by the way, I'm from Georgia in the 70s. And I'm being really candid here and vulnerable. But having to, to discern whether or not someone was a good white person, okay. or I'm African-American, if you can't tell, <laughs> but having to seriously discern, is this a good white person? Will this person hurt me? Imagine being a little eight-year-old kid and not knowing whether to walk into a room because you, you're you not able to read mm. the room. So it's kind of triggering frankly, to be having to take on this mantle in our conversations. That's something that we've lived through as children. So it's very important to get this right. 
It's very important to to tell these stories and to to educate and to, frankly, implore people to listen because that's really all we can do, right? Listen we'll to the stories, watch look, them. Looking forward to uh, everything that's, mm-hmm. uh, and that's actually starting later in the fall. Later in the fall. Thanks so much for being with us, mm-hmm. Eugenia Harvey and Maya Navan, talking with us today about WNET's multi-platform initiatives. And thank you for listening. And be back with us again soon for another edition of WNET Up Next. Of course, we'd love you to share your questions and comments with us at upnext at wnet.org. And please do become a subscriber. Our audio engineers, Evan Joseph and Josh Broom. Our editor, Samantha Lobo. And our executive producer, Dana McBride. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the design and on-air promotion department of WNET New York. I'm Tom Stewart.